Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. By my records, it's been about, uh, oh, uh, at least 12 years since I preached on music here at uh, Spring Meadow. I figured that uh, you didn't need it. No, I'm, I'm teasing. But uh, the Lord has, uh, you know, allowed me to have peace about uh, speaking on that tonight. And uh, this message, if you've been here for a long time, uh, you may have heard it about 14 years ago. But um, it's been a while, and you've probably forgotten it, right? But uh, tremendous uh, truths about um, how we worship and praise God. And that's been a good, big question in our day and time, hasn't it? And uh, the, what churches believe and practice in the area of music or uh, their, their worship service, a lot of times they call it, they've gotten worship teams, etc., uh, has been debatable and debated uh, for uh, several years now. And uh, there you have kind of on one side of the spectrum, you might think of a church more of kind of a high church uh, music um, and uh, the oratorios and things like that. On the other end, you have churches that have basically a rock band and uh, kind of a worship team and and rock, rock music in their church. So you have those extremes, and you have everything in between, don't you? And uh, so it does bring up a question in our hearts and minds, what is right? You know, what, uh, what should we be embracing? What should we accept in our personal lives, as well as the life of our church? And uh, I think it's dangerous sometimes to begin to separate the two things, our personal life from our church life. You know, some folks say, well, this is, I wouldn't do this at church, but I would listen to this at home. Well, we need to be careful about that because we're to follow Bible principle in our lives every day. It's not just Sunday, not just Sunday morning. It's not just Sunday evening or, or Wednesday evening. It's every moment of our life, really. And so what you tune your radio to when you're going to work matters as much as what we sing here at church, doesn't it? And uh, what you have in your collection of CDs or do we have a CD collection anymore? What you, what you have, whatever device you use to listen to music on, um, you know, it, it matters because we, we don't just act like a Christian at church, but uh, we should be a Christian guided by the principles of God's Word uh, for every hour that we live. And so music is a very um, important subject. I've never met anyone who didn't enjoy some kind of music. Have you? I never have. You know, it might not be the kind of music that I enjoy, but that's okay. They enjoy some kind of music. It is, it is a part of our lives. It's a part of our culture. You can't go anywhere. You can't see anything without hearing music, right? You go into a clothing store, you know, you stop and think of it. Why would they have music? You know, clothing store, uh, or you go anywhere and you're going to hear, uh, you're hearing music. You hear advertisements. There's music behind it. You have jingles. You had ads and those type of things. And so it is such part of the warp and woof of our society, our culture, and our lives. It really is an important thing for us as Christians to step back and just take a look at uh, our music. 
and uh, our philosophy of music, if, if I can say it, put it that way, and uh, see if it lines up with what God's Word says. Because that's the important thing. You get right down to it, it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what somebody else thinks, what matters is what the Word of God says. And um, so tonight I would like to look at some principles that will help us uh, just determine and think of this area of my life and see if I really am honoring God in this area. Um, you know, something that sometimes we can just kind of take for granted. We just um, turn on the radio and listen, you know, or uh, we uh, expect uh, certain music or whatever at church. But it's something that we need to consider in light of what the Bible teaches us. So in Colossians 3, verse 16, if you'll look, look there with us, uh, we'll read chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And uh, this is one of my favorite verses about music. There's many verses in the Bible about music. And in fact, there's uh, there's 600 or so references to music in the Bible. Not necessarily uh, that many verses, because some verses reference music more than once. But uh, it says a lot about it. Some people kind of try to seem to get themselves off the hook of, you know, really considering what's right and wrong by, about this by saying, you know, the Bible doesn't say a lot about music. Well, it does. They're they're kidding themselves if they, if they say that. There are references to music and the way we use music and the way God uses music all the way through Scripture. And uh, so it, it behooves us to take a look at Bible principle. And here in Colossians 3.16 is one of my favorite passages that I think clearly helps us see a principle that can be a, a help and blessing in our lives. So let's have a word of prayer and we will get started in there. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you that we don't have to wonder as a Christian as to what we should believe or what we should practice in our hearts and lives. So we pray that you would help me, help as I speak tonight, give me clarity of thought, and I pray that you would guide and, and uh, lead in my, my words that I use. I pray that you would help this to be a blessing and encouragement uh, to each one of us here tonight, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I love the way this verse begins because it begins, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I mentioned a few minutes ago that it really, when you get down to it, it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, what it matters is what the word of God says because we gain wisdom through the word of God. And that verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Not the word of Brother Doyle Robertson. Uh, that, that wouldn't be that, that, that beneficial to you, you know. But let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom. You know, the world a lot of times thinks it has wisdom. And uh, there are people that know a lot about a lot of things. There are people that know a lot about music. There's a, uh, people that know a lot about other things. I, I remember one of our favorite things to do as a family is to hike. And uh, we've enjoyed hiking because of our ministry of traveling all over the United States, we've enjoyed hiking all over the United States. Uh, whenever we're in a, a um, church for a week, uh, Don and I try to walk every day. And so 
Uh, sometimes that's in the mountains of, of West Virginia. Sometimes it's in the flatland of Florida, sweating up. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it's in the prairies, sometimes in California, wherever uh, we walk. But then we like to hike, you know, special things. We've, we've hiked in Arizona. We've hiked in California. We've hiked in a lot of different places. One of our favorite places to hike, though, is the Grand Canyon. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but it is a, a wonderful place. If you enjoy hiking at all, uh, it is a great place. I was just reminded of this yesterday. Uh, our son asked us, when was the last time that you hiked the canyon? And uh, figuring it out, I think it was about three years ago. It was, I think, just before we spent the year at Ambassador Baptist College. So I'm not sure I can still do it, but I hope so. I think, I think we may try to find out sometime soon. Right, sweetheart? Maybe. Okay, right. Uh, she says maybe. But, uh, but we have thoroughly enjoyed it for many, many years. But when you get to the canyon, the canyon is one of those places that's kind of run by the federal government, you know. And uh, you have these experts all over the place that think they know how the canyon came to be. And they know a lot of things. They know a lot of so-called information, you know. And they will spout it to you. And they will print it on signs. You know, they'll say things like, okay, notice this rock formation here. Billions and billions of years ago, you know. Uh, the only problem is sometimes the rock, for, the rock strata that they're calling attention to here in this part of the canyon on this other part of the canyon, it's down here, you know, and this part of the canyon, it's up there. And you say, now, how does exactly, well, you know, uh, things happen, you know, things happen. And they try to explain it, but they really don't have any wisdom about it. Why? Because they're, what they believe, what they accept is based on something that's not true. It's based on the theory of evolution, that everything took billions and billions and billions of years to create. Now, as a Christian, we can just believe what the Bible says, that God created the heavens and the earth. It took him six days. It didn't take six million years. It just took him six days. And uh, some may say, well, why, does, why, does this age, why is this age so much? Well, he didn't make everything brand new, you know. He made, uh, when he made Adam, he didn't make him a baby. When he created a tree, it wasn't a little bitty seed. It was a tree, you know. And so he created some things with apparent age. But there are a lot of explanations about the creation. We just, as Christians, need to just accept it by faith and say the Bible says it, so I believe it, you know. And what we believe then determines, by believing the Bible, determines whether we have wisdom or not in certain areas. And in the area of creation, for instance, we can say, well, you know, easily we can see how the Grand Canyon was formed. It didn't take billions and billions of years. It didn't take long at all. Uh, because the Bible tells us of a worldwide flood. When the worldwide flood, this water started receding, there were canyons that were dug quickly because it was soft earth. And that's why that's, that rock strata is up there sometime and it's down there because there was a lot of shifting going on, right? And so you, have, you can have wisdom, you can have true wisdom as a, as a Christian and you can have understanding because our knowledge and what we accept about things is based on the Bible and its truth. And it's never going to change. And the same thing is true about music. You know, some people say, oh, we just kind of need to make up our, our own minds about it. Or I believe this, or this is what I've always listened to, or this is what I've always done. But what we need to do is take what the Bible says, and then we can formulate 
a, a true philosophy of music that is wise, that, that has some wisdom, that has some understanding, that has truth to it. So here in this verse, after reminding us that God's Word is what gives us, uh, gives us uh, the wisdom, it begins by saying, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so here in this scripture, uh, we're seeing, first of all, the purpose of music. You say, Brother Joel, why might that be important to see the purpose of something? Well, before you can evaluate anything, no, it's purpose. That makes sense? You know, if I'm watching a certain sporting event, I need to know something, <coughs> excuse me, of its purpose in order to evaluate a player's um, skill or abilities or how the team is doing or whatever. I need to know something about what they're trying to accomplish, the purpose of that sporting event. Um, let's, let's, let me illustrate it this way. Suppose, suppose uh, today at church we were going to have a picnic, all right? Um, after church, before church, it doesn't matter. And in this picnic, suppose the guys just decide to get up a game of football, all right? Just this a game of friendly football. And, uh, but suppose I'm there, and I have a friend who's there, and neither one of us know anything about football. Now, I don't know where we would have to be from in order for that to be true. Maybe Texas. No, 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 no not really. Wait, no, I don't know where we need to be from, but uh, perhaps we're from Mars. We just, we just dropped in for the service, all right? And uh, you invite us to play with, you know, play with you this game of football. Say, come on, Brother Doyle, and, uh, and uh, play a game of football with us. Suppose I say, no, no, I'll just watch. I don't know anything about it, so I'll just watch. But suppose my friend is the kind of guy that likes to get in on everything. Do you have any friends like that? I do. You know, I have friends that if anything's going to happen to anybody, it's going to happen to them, you know. Uh, if we're hunting, if they're going to get run over by a bear, if anybody's going to get run over by a bear, it's my friend. You know, if he's going to, if somebody's going to catch the biggest fish, it's him. You know, just things happen to them. And uh, so this friend of mine, he's there with me, and uh, he says, "Sure, I'll play. Just tell me what to do. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll play and have have a good time." He just jumps in with both feet wherever he is, whatever he's doing. Okay. So you say, well, come on over here. You can be on our team. And uh, so you, you walk toward the end of the field. And about that time, there's no referees and no umpires in this game at all. So they're just uh, on this other side, the, uh, the other team. They decide it's time to start, so they kick the football. Well, you're, you're back here with your team. And uh, the guy that's trying to coach you along, he says, this is going to be easy. You know, it, it won't be hard. Just, just watch me. Well, wouldn't you know the football's come flying this way? And guess who the football's coming right toward? My friend, all right? So he looks up, he sees this object flying toward him. Remember, he knows nothing about football. He's from Mars. But he says, well, I've got to either let this thing hit me in the nose or catch it. So he reaches up and he catches the football. Well, I'm on the sidelines, and I said, wow. <laughs> I didn't know this guy knew how to play football. I thought he was just like me. You know, here he is with the football. Well, he's standing here with the football, but what does he do with it? He hadn't got that far in his lesson, remember? And he can't watch anybody because he's the one that's got the football. Well, he thinks in his mind. He's kind of a logical kind of guy. He says, well, they kicked it to me. I guess that's the name of the game. I'll kick it back to them. So he takes it and he kicks it back. 
and it goes flying through the air. And uh, it's, in fact, it's a great kick. It's, they have to back up to try to catch it. And I'm about to come unglued on the sidelines. I said, can you believe it? This guy is a tremendous football player. Did you see? Did you just see that kick that he just made? Now, if you were standing on the sidelines, what would you say? Would you say, you're right, Brother Doyle. You're, no, no you say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Brother Doyle. Now, maybe he has potential. He did make a good catch. Seems like he has good hands. He, he made a good kick. He's probably a natural, but he's not a great football player. What do you mean not a great football player? I saw him catch that ball, and I saw him kick that ball. Well, you can say, well, wait just a minute. Calm down. Now, the purpose of the, of the game of football is to advance the football over the goal. He said, now, he could do it two ways. He could either run with it, or he could lateral it to a teammate. Can't forward pass on a kickoff, but you can lateral it to a teammate who they could run them toward the goal line. But the purpose is to get the football across the, the, the goal line while it's in your team's possession, not kick it back to them. Then I said, oh. You see, then after I have that knowledge, I can say, oh, I understand. I, I guess he does have a little bit to learn, right? And what made the difference? I could have wisdom about evaluating what he was doing because I knew what he was supposed to be doing. And it's the same way with music. You know, if we just evaluate our music by what we enjoy or what sounds good to us or, you know, what grandma used to sing or whatever, uh, whatever criteria we use, we can judge it in the wrong way when we're thinking about sacred music. But when we, if we're going to think about sacred music, we need to find out its purpose. What is it for? Is it just to make me feel good? You know, why do we have music? And so that's why this verse is so important. Because in the very last phrase, it tells us clearly what, what the purpose of music is. When it says in verse 16, the last phrase, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. You know, the Bible, time and time and time again, I mentioned there's many references, and the vast majority of them, when it mentions music, it mentions singing to God or singing about God. And as you look at what the Bible says about music, you cannot possibly escape the fact that the primary purpose of our music is to bring honor and glory to God. It is, you know, the Psalms are full of it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Time and time again, uh, you don't have to look, look back, but in Psalm, uh, you, that was a quote from Psalm 100. But if you just look at some of the Psalms right around uh, Psalm 100, uh, Psalm 98, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Psalm uh, 101, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Uh, it just time and time again, and not only in the book of Psalms, but all the way through the word of God, there's reference after reference after reference after reference about singing to and about God whenever it talks about music. And so it is impossible to read all of those verses without saying, you know, the primary purpose of our sacred music is to bring honor and glory to God. Now, does that make a difference in what we think about music? Yes, it does. 
Because, you know, there are many people in this world that think, oh, sacred music's just to make me feel good, you know. Or some people say, well, Brother, Brother Schwanky, what we need is we need some of that we need some of that contemporary music around here, you know, because you see this church down the street, you know, they, that's the kind of music they use, and it just attracts all the people to church, and that, well, you don't, you're not going to find that as a purpose for music in, in the Word of God. You know, you can use a lot of things to attract people to church. We could have somebody stand in the, in the uh, parking lot, and everybody comes in the door and gets a $100 bill. We'd fill this place up pretty quickly, wouldn't it? We just have to, I have to get Brother Umstead out there with his hundred dollar bills, you know, and get and uh, start start passing it out to everybody. Uh, would that make it right because you attract people in that way? No. Uh, we could have happy hour on Sunday morning. How about that? Would that not attract some people? Sure. You know, uh, we we open up the bar at eight eight a.m. You know, and you just we have happy hour from eight a.m. to nine, and then. We get ready for church. You know, would that not attract some people? It would, wouldn't it? It, it certainly would. Uh, but does that make it right? No, it does not make it right. How do we know whether it's right or wrong? Because we can look in the Word of God, and it says, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor to drink. It talks about not lo even looking upon alcohol. And so we know that the, the consumption of alcohol is wrong, and so it would, be, it would not be right even though it attracted people to church. And it's the same way with music. We don't decide what is right and wrong by what works. We would decide what is right and wrong by the Word of God. And so here the Bible says time and time again, the purpose, the primary purpose of music is to bring honor and glory to God. And as we think about that, that opens up a whole realm of understanding and a foundation upon which we can build our opinions of sacred music. It's not whether do I like it or not, is does it honor and glorify God? If that's its primary purpose, just like the football game, you know, his kick can look as good as everything, but it is not doing one bit of good. It's not the right thing. And our music can sound exciting or whatever, but if it's not fulfilling the biblical purpose, we need to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. And we evaluate it in light of its biblical purpose. And uh, I, if, you know, if you're interested in this subject, which most people are, I would, I would encourage you sometime to take time to read every scripture in the Word of God that talks about music. I've done that several times. And uh, it's, it's, it's a tremendous study. Uh, just look it up in a, in a concordance. Every, uh, every instance of the word sing or song or all, all the different tenses, etc. And, um, and see what the Word of God says. And you just have, you have to come to the conclusion that the primary purpose is to bring honor and glory to Him. And that gives us that foundation where we can look at a certain genre of music and say, do you know, is that, would that bring honor and glory to God or would it not? And that's, that's a great way to, to uh, evaluate it. Then as we look at the middle phrase here in verse 16, it says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the primary purpose is to honor the Lord, give glory to Him. Here in this verse, it also gives us a secondary uh, purpose of music where it says teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So music 
can not only bring honor and glory to God, but it can be a blessing to us. Now, this is not mentioned much in the Scripture, but the Scripture only has to say something once for it to be true, right? doesn't have to say it over and over and over and over again. It is illustrated in Scripture. For instance, um, Moses, God came to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to write a song. He says, because, uh, you know, in the future there will be uh, Christians or there will be people of God, the children of Israel, who will forget what I've done for them. So I want you to write this song to remind them. And so what it was, God recognizes that we learn uh, and we are taught by what we hear. You know, and that also reminds us why it's important to what we're listening to. You know, some folks say, well, I can listen to rock and I can listen to pop and I can listen to all those and I just enjoy it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't phase me. Oh, yeah, we're learning, you know. When we're, when we're in that clothing store and that rock music is playing, uh, we're not only learning, our kids are learning too, you know. Often when, when our kids were young, when we were in any time when, when there was uh, music that was definitely worldly, uh, I wouldn't just let it go by. I would, I would go to, to my kids and I would say, is that the right kind of music? And I wouldn't make a, you know, a scene in the store. I would just ask my kids, I said, is that the right kind of music we, that, that should, we should be listening to? No, Daddy, you're right, it's not. Because I didn't want them to get used to it and think, oh, this is good, this is fine, there's no, you know, there's no problem with this. So I'd always use it as a teaching uh, moment. But music teaches, music instructs, and so here Paul is reminding us uh, that our music is teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's very important as a family to have good music around the house. And uh, don't let the junk pervade. Uh, have good music that would honor the Lord and would te be teaching the right things uh, to our children as they grow up. Very, very important to make sure that we make those right kind of decisions. So teaching and admonishing one another. So those two primary purposes, to bring honor and glory to God primarily, secondarily, it is a tool of teaching and admonishing because we learn by music. I, you know, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine several of you, <coughs> excuse me, learned your ABCs with a song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, or A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, you know. We learned that, you know. Some of you may have learned the books of the Bible with a song, and a lot of, a lot of young people do that. Why? Because you, it helps you remember it. So we were taught and we're admonished by music, so we need to make sure that it's the right kind of music that we're listening to that glorifies God and teaches us Bible truth. You know, music doesn't always do that, and we have to be a little careful. I remember I was in a service one time, and a young man got up and started singing a song, and I was listening to the words and listening to the message. Now, the music was very appealing. It was kind of upbeat. It was, you know, fresh or exciting or whatever. And you could just kind of feel the, the atmosphere of the whole congregation there change a little bit, you know, and there was some amen, brothers, sing it, that kind of thing, you know. And, uh, but the sad thing about it was, if you really listened to the music, the preacher wouldn't have preached what he sang 
because what he sang was not scriptural. You know, if the pastor had gotten up and preached that, I hope the congregation would sit back and say, now, where are you getting that? But did they do it that when he was singing it? No, it was preached, you know, sing it, brother. This is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. But what he was singing was a song that's based on the, on the premise that we can know we're saved by how we feel. And that's not how you know you're saved. You know that, right? The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So we know that we're saved not by how we feel. Some days we feel good, some days we feel bad. Some days we feel saved, some days we don't. So we don't go by our feelings, we go by by what the Word of God says. And so as we're listening to songs, as we realize that they teach and admonish, that's, that's one of the important things to make sure that the music that we accept is music that is teaching the right thing. And uh, I have heard all sorts of songs. It's, um, you know, it, it's amazing what they put out there sometimes and say it's sacred music or church music or whatever. And uh, I'm sure you're aware of that also. And, uh, but as we go, have, have wisdom and realize the purpose of music is glorify God and to teach. And let's make sure that those songs really are glorifying God and they really are teaching Bible truth. Then turn over, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> a Bible principle that is clearly taught here that a lot of times I think Christians do not apply it in the area of music. I don't know why we apply it in many other areas, but a lot of times in the area of music they don't seem to. In verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible starts out with a statement, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we hear that quite often. Hold your place because we're going to read some more here in just a moment. But that, that phrase, be ye not unequally yoked together, we especially hear it when? When we're talking about marriage, um, that a Christian shouldn't marry an unsaved person. It always causes problems. It always is a hardship and many times a heartache and and uh, it's just uh, something that, that uh, the Bible counsels against. Uh, sometimes we hear it in the area of business. You know, we were just reminded today about how there's this conflict set up, especially, you know, if you're partners with somebody or whatever, and that they're in the world and you're not, they think differently. They, you know, it just, it creates problems. So it says, be, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, why not? Well, Paul gives us five reasons here by giving us five questions, actually, uh, to consider and uh, why we shouldn't be yoked up with those in the world. Look at them. It says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now, what's the answer to that question? You have, you have righteousness here. You have unrighteousness here. Uh, do they have good fellowship together? No, they're opposites, aren't they? Uh, righteous now this this day and time in which we live a lot of times righteousness is called unrighteousness and unrighteousness is called righteousness but they still recognize that there's a difference you know between righteousness and unrighteousness they are opposites and so we can answer Paul when he asks this question we could say none Paul 
There's, there's no fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness. We'll look at the last phrase in verse 14. It says, what communion hath light with darkness? Again, none. They're opposites. We can answer all these questions with the word none. Don't you wish every quiz was this easy, kids? You know, just have one word, you know, all the way down through the quiz. Here it is, 100, Mom. You know, so, uh, but uh, they're not all that easy, but this one is. Verse 15, it says, In what concord or agreement hath Christ with Belial? Now, we know who Christ is. Christ is God himself. Belial it could either be a reference to Satan himself or at least a false god. So what, what agreement do they have? They don't. They're opposites into the spectrum. You have God. You have Satan. They're, they're opposite. goes on to say, And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Can you have opposite, one, one that's headed to heaven, one that's headed to eternal punishment in hell? They're, they're not in ag agreement. They're not... Uh, they don't have part one with another. One more, one more question. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Again, you have something that op you have something that's godly, something that is satanic, or something that is ungodly, and so you don't have any agreement there. But it goes on to say, then, he kind of this is a gotcha moment. You know what I mean by a gotcha moment? Uh, have you ever been asked a question, maybe by a young person or you know somebody else? And when you answered it, either they said it out loud or at least they thought, and I've got him now, you know, I've got you. This is kind of a gotcha moment. Paul has been asking us these questions, you know, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? None, Paul. You know, what concord does light have with darkness? None, none, all those none questions. Then he, then, then he says, well, you, he ends up, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And then he turns it on you and he says, for ye are the temple of the living God. So he says, you know, if the, if the temple of God doesn't have anything, if it's opposite from, from the world, opposite from the idols, and he says, well, you're the temple of God. So it goes on to say, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, this is not the house of God. You know, I understand what people are talking about when they say that, but we're the house of God. The Holy Spirit... You know, God in the form of the Holy Spirit lives in us today. And so we're, we're the temple of the living God. And it says, so I, it says, walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then verse 17 says, wherefore, because of that fact, because light is different from darkness, because righteousness is different from unrighteousness, because the temple of God is different from idols, he says, wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So what he's talking, what, what's he talking about the them? He's talking about the world. He's talking about the satanic system of the world that we should be separated from as a Christian. We shouldn't look like them. We shouldn't act like them. We shouldn't be like them because they are completely opposite than we are. God has his side, and Satan has his side, which is the world and its philosophy. Not talk, we're not talking about the grass and the trees and the moon and the stars. We're talking about that worldly system that Satan controls. The Bible says that Satan is the God, little g, of this world. And so he has his system 
God has his kingdom, and the two are opposite. The Bible says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Why should we as Christians be different from the world? Why should we act differently? Why should we think differently? Why should we dress differently? Why should we be different at all? Because light's different than darkness. Because righteousness is different from unrighteousness. And so all the way through Scripture, we are taught this principle how we as Christians <clears throat> are not supposed to, to be like the world. We are supposed to be separated from the world. But what has come along in our day and time in the area of sacred music, church music? Instead of recognizing that separation, there have been those that have been trying to merge the two. They're going to merge godliness with worldliness. And so they said, oh, we're going to get some Christian words, but we're going to reach across here. We're going to reach across the aisle. You know, you've heard about that. We're going to reach across here, and we're going to get some of the world's music, and we're going to just bring it together, and it's going to be a tremendous thing. You say, Brother Doyle, is it going to be a tremendous thing? No, it's not. Uh, why not? Because you don't like it? No, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. The reason is because it goes against Bible principle. Bible, the Bible principle is that we as Christians are to be separated from the world. And so as, as a musician, I need to say I'm going to have music that isn't worldly, that doesn't sound like the world, that isn't like the world. Now, some will say, well, Brother Doyle, I understand that, but does the music really matter? Or is it just the words that count? Like we've been fed that for quite a while now, uh, the idea that the music doesn't really matter. It's just the words. As long as the words are good, then the song is good. And they agree if the words are, are not good, okay, it, it'd be a worldly song. But the music doesn't matter. Does the music matter? Yes, it does. Can that be proven? I, you know, I, I think very easily it can, it can be proven. The music matters uh, because of many things. First of all, music matters because we serve a holy God. You know, I mentioned that a while ago. If we understand the primary purpose is to bring honor and glory to God, our music needs to be struck in such a way that that is true. Now, we, you know, we could go into details about the structure of worldly music, etc., but I don't think we need to. Uh, it, it wouldn't necessarily even be a help to us, but I, I think it would be easy, you know, much easier to say our music should not sound like the world. Christian music shouldn't sound like rock music. Christian music shouldn't sound like rap music. Christian music should not sound like worldly music because the world is completely opposite from God. And they say, well, Brother Joe, it doesn't matter because, you know, music is amoral. Music is, is, it does, isn't good or bad in itself. It's amoral. And you may have heard that. And uh, if you've heard that, uh, it's, you know, you may have wondered about it. They'll, in fact, they'll go to some links like this sometimes. They say, okay, Brother Doyle, tell me, is that a good note? Or is it a bad note? Well, it's neither one, is it? It's a note. They say, well, see, you know, 
music notes aren't good or bad, and so music, you just take notes and you put them together, and they're, you know, they're not good, they're not bad, it's just the words that make it either good or bad. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute, let's think through this a moment, okay? Suppose, suppose I had an alphabet here on the platform, and I pointed to one of the letters, suppose I pointed to that H, and I said, see that H there? Is that a good letter, or is that a bad letter? It's neither one, is it? I could point to any letter in the alphabet, and you'd have to agree, we'd have to all agree, they're in and of themselves amoral. They're not, they don't have, they're not good, they're not bad, they're not righteous, they're not unrighteousness, they're a letter. Well, if I use their little theology about letters that they use about music, here's what I could say. I would say, all right, letters are amoral, they're not good, they're not bad, so it doesn't matter how we use letters, and so all literature is amoral. Is all literature amoral? No. Why? Because you can take those letters, those neutral letters, and you can put them together in a way that would honor God, can't you? The Word of God is made up of letters, you know, that put together in words and sentences and paragraphs and books and chapters and all of that, that, that honors God. But I can also put letters together in a way that would be worldly or evil or, or unrighteous, uh, cursing, pornography. Easy, we can easily see that, can't we? that we can put letters together in a good way or we can put letters together in a bad way. And it's the same way with music. Just because middle C, that's what I played a moment ago, just because middle C is not good or bad in and of itself has nothing to do with the fact that I can take those same neutral notes and I put them together in a way that would honor God or I could put them in, together in a way that would be fleshly and dishonor God. In fact, do you know who's tried to tell us for quite some time now that music is amoral. Uh, you know, we say, well, it's probably those rock musicians, you know. No, it's not them. In fact, if you, if you went up to a rock musician and you said, did you know that music is neutral? It's just amoral. It doesn't matter what you're playing. It just matters what you're saying. They'll say, saying. <laughs> they would laugh you out of the house if you tried to uh, tell a rock musician that the music didn't matter because they know better. In fact, I, uh, there was a rock musician, well-known rock musician, that one time said that uh, rock, for instance, he said rock is immorality. Now, he used a little stronger word than that, but that's what I'll use tonight, all right? Rock is immorality. Another rock musician says rock is rebellion. They were talking about their music. They said, rock, rock music, that's, it's, it's all about rebellion. That's what it's about. The other guy says, it's, it's about immorality. And so we say, really? They're, they're not trying to, to persuade us that the music doesn't matter. Normally it's a Christian or someone who at least claims to be a Christian who's looking for an excuse to listen to any kind of music or wanting to make some big bucks, you know, off, off of you, if they can persuade you, all oh, this music. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh, doesn't it? Worldly music appeals to the flesh. And uh, that's, that's the way it's formulated. That's the way it's meant to be. It appeals, it appeals to the flesh. And so if we can be persuaded in our mind, well, let's, as long as it has good words, it's fine. 
then we'll, we'll listen to it. We'll buy it. Well, whatever, because we've been persuaded that. But it does matter. Music does matter. It matters because of the holiness of God. It matters also because it, it's not just what you say. It matters how you say it. Okay? Did you get that? It doesn't matter just what you say. It matters how you say it. Uh, for instance, if, um, if, I'm just, if I'm just talking and uh, having a conversation with someone, suppose I see a mother with a baby in her arms. And suppose I look at the baby and I say, my, that's a beautiful baby. That would, that would go over very well, wouldn't it? You know, the d dad would be proud, the mom would be happy, the baby would coo or whatever. And uh, but suppose I saw that same baby, same mama, same daddy, same words. And suppose I said them like this. Suppose I said, that's, that's a beautiful baby. <laughs> How would that go over? Not very good, right? It wouldn't go over very well at all. The dad would probably, you know, probably pop me one, and, and uh, who, who knows what would happen. Same words, okay? You know, I, you can look at, look at someone and you can say, hey, thanks a lot. That means they did something for you, right? Or you can see, look at somebody and say, hey, thanks a lot. That means they just stepped on your toe, you know, or something. So it doesn't matter just what you say, it matters how you say it. And in a song, what is the inflection, uh, what is the voice inflection of the song? What, is the, what, what determines what that message is saying? It's the music, the music. There's, there's no way around that. And the music needs to agree with the message in order for the message to remain what it should be. Because I can all day long uh, you know, sing about God in, in, a, in a way that would honor Him and the message would come through like it should. But if I put rock music with it, that music at best is distorting the message and I say it's destroying it. Because the music has the ability to support the message. That's what you want it to do. Or to distort the message or to destroy the message. But some will say, these, these words are about God, you know. Well, suppose we take, you know, a phrase about God. Suppose we say, our God is a great God. He is, isn't he? Our God's a great God. But we could say it like this. <laughs> our God is a great God. And with just a little inflection, we can make that a blasphemous statement. And so does the music matter? Yes, it does. The music needs to support the message. The music needs to be godly as well as the words need to be godly to go together to honor the Lord and to teach and admonish our hearts in the, in the right way. So the music matters because of the holiness of God. The music matters because of the message of the song. We need to make sure that that message is... is uh, is coming through loud and clear of what it should be. And the, the music matters because the music itself speaks to us. Music itself can make our hearts race. It can slow us down. It can speed us up. That's one reason why they play music you know, out in the world. A lot of times they're trying to speed us up. They're trying to slow us down, whatever. 
you know, and, uh, and to affect us mentally, physically, because music affects us. It's not, you know, they, those that say, oh, it's just the words that count, music doesn't matter. Yes, it matters because it, it affects us. Um, one of the easiest ways to understand that, and I'm, I'm about done, I think my time's gone. So um, one, one of the, uh, you know, one of the easiest ways to see that is to uh, just think about, you know, sometime when you're watching a, a program, you know, you're watching a, a movie or something on television, you're watching an episode of, of Andy of Mayberry or something like that. Uh, I, I remember we were watching an episode of Andy of Mayberry years ago when the kids were small. And um, we, they, they were watching, and it was one, there was really not much going on. Uh, you, you saw a, a shot of the gas station at night. You remember the gas station? And uh, saw a gas station at night. And um, all of a sudden, my youngest... <laughs> Went running out of the room. Oh, it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary. It's going to be scary. Now, why did he think that? They had said nothing. Nothing visual was going on. But what was happening? The music had changed, hadn't it? You know, because you can be, the music can be going along. Da, 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 bum, 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 bum. Everything's happy. And all of a sudden, the music changes. to tum, tum, tum. Tom. And you know somebody's about to jump out behind the bushes. How did you, how did you know that? Did they write across the sc screen, scary part coming, scary part coming, get your heart beating a little bit more, get, anticipate this, scary part coming, sad part coming, whatever. No, they just changed the music. And the music communicates with you, with your mind and with your body, both. And so the music matters. You cannot just, you know, you cannot just say and dismiss it. Oh, Brother Doyle, it's just the words. The music doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters because of the holiness of God. How could anybody think that God can receive honor and glory from something that sounds like it should be in the bar down the street? Something that should be, you know, of the world. Is a righteous, holy God going to receive honor and glory from that? No. And it matters because the music determines what the message is saying. It matters because the music communicates. And so, as a Christian, what, what should we do? Taking Bible principle, we should make sure that the music we're embracing is music that has a good message and a good music that agrees with it, both going together to honor the Lord and to be a blessing, a spiritual blessing to our hearts. Because music can affect us many ways, can't it? But we want it to be a spiritual blessing to our hearts. Um, as I close, and I'll mention one more verse if you want to look it up sometime, but in, or one more passage in Romans chapter 7. Um, the, the Word of God talks about, Paul is talking about the battle between the flesh and the spirit especially like starting in verse 18, if you want to read it sometime. Well, I'll read verse 18. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Verse 19 says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And Paul is just talking about the, the, the principle about how our life as a Christian has its struggle between right and wrong. 
He says, the things I know I should be doing, those are the things I find myself not doing. You ever been there? The things I know I shouldn't be doing, those are the things I find myself doing. I know I'm not supposed to holler at my wife, but that's what I find myself doing. I know I shouldn't be getting angry. I know I shouldn't be doing those. I know I shouldn't talk uh, the wrong way or whatever, but that's often what I find myself doing. I know I should be witnessing. I know I should be reading my Bible. I know I should be living for the Lord. And those are the things sometimes I find myself not doing. Why? Because there's this battle, this warfare that goes on in our lives until we see, until we see God. You know, one of these days we've changed and we'll be perfect and won't have the battle anymore. And that's going to be one of the most wonderful things about heaven. The battle is over. You know, the victory is won. And uh, not only physically, but spiritually and in every way. But until that day, if Paul had a battle with it, don't you think we're going to? So people say, well, Brother Doyle, you know, I just, I just find, I just like that kind of music, and I just don't like that kind of music too much. You know, what, you know, what can I do? Well, first of all, I recognize that's natural. You know, it's natural to like the wrong things. Uh, you know, the flesh, a hundred times out of a hundred, will like the wrong thing. But we need to realize that as a Christian that we can have victory over the wrong thing. What do you do in this area of music? You need to get rid of the bad stuff, get rid of the stuff that you know doesn't honor the Lord, that, that sounds like the world or whatever. You need to get rid of that and to saturate yourself with the right kind of music. You know, get some good CDs, get some good uh, songs on your, on your iPad or your phone or whatever you listen to music through these days, all right? Some good stuff. And then ask God, please help me to learn to enjoy this more. And can that happen? Sure it can. Do you know your enjoyer can change? I'll close with this illustration. When I was a kid, I hated cottage cheese. Okay. Were you ever there? I don't know. Maybe it was green peas with you. I'm not sure. But anyhow, I, I hated cottage cheese. And my mom had this practice of serving cottage cheese with pineapple slices. Now, she wouldn't put the two together or on top of it. I've seen some people do that. But uh, she, would, she would have them separate. But every time she served pineapple, she would serve cottage cheese. Now, this pineapple, it wasn't fresh pineapple. That's too good for you. Now, this pineapple was, was dull pineapple. They're kin to me, I think. Theirs is D-O-L-E. Mine's D-O-Y-L-E. But anyhow... They, they may be kin to me somehow. This was dull pineapple. This was in the days that you never heard about being healthy. This was the extra heavy syrup, which meant, meant there's as much sugar in this thing as there is anything, you know. And they, they would have that sweetened up, and it would just be, it was like candy to me, you know. It was great. And so I would, I would, I just loved the pineapple. I would get me a slice of pineapple and just eat it down. And I'd say, no, thank you on the, on the cottage cheese. Though. No, thank you on the cottage cheese. And then I'd say, hey, can I have another slice of pineapple? And my mom, this was almost diabolical. My mom would say, you can if you'll eat some cottage cheese. Now, that was, that was just bad, wasn't it? I mean, that was just no fair whatsoever because she knew I loved pineapple. And so after looking at it for a while, finally my love of pineapple would outdo my hatred of, of cottage cheese. And so I'd get the cottage cheese container or bowl or whatever. And I'd take, you know, like one little curd, you know, and put it on my plate. How's that? No, 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 got to have more. <laughs> so 
I wouldn't have to heap it up, but I would have to get a reasonable portion of cottage cheese, and I would literally choke it down. Have you ever been there? I would just choke that stuff down so I could get another slice of pineapple. Well, this went on for years, this abuse. You know, I think it probably warped me forever. This, this went on for years and years and years. And guess what? Not too many years went by where I started looking forward to that scoop of, of cottage cheese. And I got where I could put it on my slice of pineapple and enjoy it. I got where I could put it on spaghetti and enjoy it. I got where I could put, you know, cottage cheese on just about anything. Just kind of like ranch dressing goes good with anything. You know, have you tried it? Potatoes, tomatoes, whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, same thing about cottage cheese. Just heap it on. It'll taste better, whatever it is. And I loved it. What's the point, Brother Doyle? My enjoyer changed. And the way it changed is because I just kept eating the stuff, you know, and I, I developed a taste for it. So if you find yourself, oh, Brother Doyle, I don't like that. I know this honors the Lord, but I just don't like, well, just keep eating some, all right, and say, God, help me to learn to enjoy it, and you can. This is one area you can have your cake and eat it too. I'm convinced there's no one in this world that enjoys music more than I do, you know, and maybe you say, I enjoy it as much as you do. Perhaps, perhaps you do, although I think that might be debatable. You know, I have given over 40 years of my life to music, and, you know, that, that would stand me in good stead, I think, an argument. And so I don't think you, you, you can say you love it more than I do, but I love the right kind of music. And I, and I enjoy it. It thrills my heart. It is wonderful. And, and it, so you don't have to have to choose one or the other. You say, dear God, I know this is right. I don't think this is right. Help me to learn to enjoy what would honor you and glorify you. And you can. You really can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much.